Hello. On behalf of the Independent Research Forum, welcome to this IRF podcast. I'm David Osman, and with me today is Carl Weinberg of High Frequency Economics. Our subject for this podcast is Recovery from the COVID Crisis, Sizzle or Fizzle? The Independent Research Forum promotes an extensive range of top-quality independent research and data providers from around the world, both micro and macro, some stock pickers, some sector-specific, some country-specific, many global, with all being investment-related. To discuss the outlook for economic growth and inflation in the US and beyond, I'm especially pleased that we are joined again today by Carl Weinberg, who is the Managing Director and Chief Economist of High Frequency Economics. Prior to the founding of High Frequency Economics in 1988, Carl Weinberg served as the Senior International Economist at Shearson Lehman Brothers, where he was involved in advisory projects in G7 countries, Africa and Latin America. He also supported the capital markets activities of the firm. From 1982 to 1984, he worked on restructuring bank loans to Latin American sovereign borrowers, representing the Bank of Montreal in multi-year restructuring negotiations. He has also worked at the OECD, the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development in Paris, as a member of the Economic Forecasting Unit. Carl currently teaches a graduate course in international finance at New York University. High-frequency economics provides sophisticated investors with insights on the global economy and financial markets. The high-frequency team draw upon decades of first-hand capital markets experience to develop unbiased, provocative analysis that assists the investment decisions of institutional investors. Carl, welcome. Let's begin with a short introduction to the advisory service that is provided by high-frequency economics. David, thank you for that kind introduction and for the opportunity to speak on this uh, podcast to IRF customers and clients. At High Frequency Economics, we've been, for the last 33 years, a trusted source of economic intelligence for the financial community. We produce daily notes on the global economy, daily notes on the United States, and our research team is headed by myself on the international side and by Rubila Faruqi on the U.S. side. We have editions for North America and for Europe slash Asia. We produce weekly notes on both the global and the European economy. We produce snapshots after every major U.S. economic release, and we have a weekly note on China. All of these are available by subscription, and the team at IRF will be more than happy to tell you about the options that are available for your subscription. Now, Larry Summers, the former U.S. Treasury Secretary, has made a case for aggressive action by the central bank to kill inflation before it hatches. Should the Fed be listening? Well, the Fed right now is facing a crisis. And one of the problems that any central bank has, perhaps we should call it the definition of a crisis, is that there is no good policy option to be had. In normal times, the central bank knows what to do. But the Fed right now is looking at extraordinarily high unemployment, and it sees that high unemployment as a risk to social stability, to financial stability, to economic stability. 
an unaffordable burden on the economy, if you will. And at the same time, it sees some signs that prices may be rising and some sign that there may be inflation in the near future. So we have the risk of inflation to be weighed against the risk of high unemployment and keeping high unemployment for too long. Now, I'm not convinced that there really is an inflation risk, but even if there were an inflation risk, we have to look at the Fed's challenge through the lens of its own mandate. In financial markets, you're very used to putting together forecasts and outlooks to support your mission, which is to maximize the chances of the best possible outcome for the economy. But if you're a central banker, your job is to minimize the risk of the worst possible outcome for the economy, ideally to make it impossible. So we believe, and what we hear the Fed telling us, is that right now they see unemployment as the bigger risk than inflation, and that their policy stance is committed to bringing down unemployment to a rate low enough to support wage increases that will achieve the Fed's inflation target, which it has been undershooting. So on this basis, this is the least bad alternative that the Fed has, and they're willing to accept some inflation along the way if that's what it takes to get unemployment down. That's what they're saying, and that's what I believe they're going to do. Now, many leading economists fear that inflation is already taking off in a potentially sustainable way. Is the current surge in headline inflation rates likely to be transitory or sustained? Well, David, we have to go back to our economic textbooks to answer that question. Inflation is the simultaneous and proportionate increase of all prices and all wages right, for a sustained period of time. Now, that is not really what we're seeing right now. We have a chart at High Frequency Economics breaking out the components of the US CPI in terms of their monthly changes for April, and we will get new data very soon, but we have the April chart for right now. And ranking those monthly changes in size order, we see that almost all of the increase in the CPI comes from just four goods. One quarter of the 70 price categories that we examined are actually showing declines in prices. This does not look like an inflation by any means whatsoever. What we're seeing are relative price changes that we believe are linked to specific bottlenecks in the supply process caused as different parts of the economy spool up at, a different, at different paces. In particular, we're seeing a strong rotation out of goods, which were the only things that people could spend money on during the lockdowns, into services. And by the way, the goods sector is overheated too, because all the money that people couldn't spend on services, much if not all of it, was spent on goods because the services weren't available. So we have a hot series of prices in the economy that are restricted to specific sectors, but we still don't have an overall increase in prices. We have a short-term increase in wages to lure people back into the system, back into labor, and those aren't going to last, mainly because companies can't afford to pay them indefinitely and still maintain profits. So I don't see this as a nascent inflation process. What I see are spooling up kinks in the supply chain that will work themselves out as the economy gets back up to full speed. 
So what if you were right and inflation does not materialise while unemployment stays high? Well, now we have to wear two hats, David. We have to think, first of all, and prominently for this forum, we have to think about the market implications because the market is always right. And having done this for 33 years, I know that the worst call that any economist can make is to say that the market is wrong. So the way to frame this, I think, for financial markets is that expectations of an inflation episode uh, accompanied by tightening of Fed policy sooner than previously expected, sooner than the Fed is saying they're going to, that has led to a steepening of the yield curve and expectations built into bond yields that inflation will be higher and that the Fed will be tightening sooner. I don't believe those expectations will be realized. By the time we get to the end of the summer, I expect that most of the apparent price increases will have ironed themselves out. The kinks in the supply chains will be resolved, all other things being equal, of course. And therefore, I think that market expectations will be revised. We've already seen over the last few weeks some flattening of the yield curves as bond yields have come down. We expect to see more of that over the summer. And at the end of the day, we think expectations by the time we get to the fourth quarter for both Fed action and for inflation will be back to where they were, say, in February or March, and much lower than where they are today. So why do you think the economy will fizzle, not sizzle? Well, it's a matter of history, for one thing, David. When we look back at the recovery from the last crisis that we faced, from the uh, 2008-2009 global financial crisis, we see that it took years for the economy to snap back. I mean, sure, GDP managed to get back to where it was before the global financial crisis in the United States in only two years. But of course, that's back to where it was, not to where it was going. And it took another two years for it to get back to the trajectory that it was on before, which is to say to eliminate slack in the economy. In that same recovery, it took 10 years for the unemployment rate to get back down to where it was in February 2008. And it took six years for employment to regain the levels of January 2008 after that downturn. Recoveries always take longer than people expect. And part of the reason for that is that companies on the bounce back are cautious about diving into new employment engagements. They're cautious about new investment and they're probably scarred to some extent by the downturn, with some businesses uh, being put out of business by the downturn. And in this case, the lockdown's taking a disproportionately large number of uh, companies out. We also have to recall, David, that going into this economic downturn, the economy was already entering an industrial recession. And we saw industrial output and other real indicators in the economy starting to turn south, starting at the end of 2019. So the question that I ask of those who predict a sizzling rebound is I ask them, why should the economy not go back to what it was doing before the COVID crisis? What about this crisis has made the economy grow faster? What has increased the potential for growth? Has there been more investment? No. Has there been new technology breakthroughs? 
Not very many, although you could argue some perhaps in the services sector that has been locked down and that needed to be a little bit cleverer. And in terms of the cash and the credit that's in the economy, that won't stay there forever. The one-time impulse from transfers, from fiscal policy, from transfers, from credit, income and support from uh, credit, and of course, the uh, cash payments that people got, they're not going to continue forever. And when they're gone, my prediction is, and, and every econometric model and every economic model that I've seen supports this idea, when a one-time impulse passes through the economy, after it's gone, very little has changed in terms of growth rates. And so this rebound in the economy could be described as a sugar rush of recovery that will be followed by an inevitable deflationary lull as the effects of the emergency stimulative measures wear off and activity returns to a less abnormal business cycle. But can I ask you about the impact of scarring from the pandemic and what effect that might have on the labor market, etc.? Well, David, that remains to be seen pretty much everywhere. I know that as I travel about in the United States right now through the Northeast, I go through downtown urban areas, and there are innumerable closed enterprises on the main streets of big U.S. cities. I passed through Stanford, Connecticut briefly uh, a week ago, and the entire downtown of Stanford, Connecticut was closed. Now, in Manhattan, I've not been there recently, but I understand that there are many storefronts that are gone, and many people have still not returned to work. And that means the entire urban structure that supports people going to work in offices remains largely idle. Now, how many firms can uh, survive this? Probably not many of the small undercapitalized businesses. But how many will come back in a different form? That remains to be seen. So we're watching for scarring and for the impacts of scarring. And I'll say that I'm wary of it. And I would very much like to have seen the Biden administration include a post-COVID reconstruction package as part of its overall response to the pandemic. And that still may come. But for right now, uh, I am wary of scarring. What do you think is the biggest single risk to the strength of the global economic rebound, however strong or weak it might be? Well, this will take a lot of investors by surprise because it is a COVID-related risk, but it's not in the United States. What I'm watching today in the early days of June is a new breakout of COVID infections in China. And not just anywhere in China, but specifically in Guangdong province, which is where Guangzhou, the manufacturing hub and export production hub is located, and the ports of Shenzhen are located. Now, we don't have very many infections there. As of today, June 8th, uh, we only have a, a few hundred. But infections were at this level in mid-January of last year and exploded from uh, under 600 per day to almost 4,000 per day within 11 days. Now, the response to that a year ago in a breakout in the city of Wuhan was to lock it down. And that, in turn, caused supply chain shortages in the automobile sector around the world. Guangdong and the city of Guangzhou is Wuhan squared in terms of its potential impact on the world economy. Over 30% of China's exports to the world go through Guangzhou. 
all the manufacturing goes through Guangzhou. And at this time of the year, all right, the materials that are being produced, the things that are being produced are consumer goods for the holiday markets at the end of the year, as well as the usual run of some intermediate supply chain products. Uh, I fear that if this infection is not stopped without a lockdown, that a lockdown, even a brief one, will in Guangzhou and in the ports of Shenzhen will cause a crimp in global supply chains of a much bigger magnitude than what we were feeling at the beginning of 2020 when Wuhan was shut down and crippled the auto industry. I can't think of any more immediate or important threat to the world economy than the outcome of this outbreak in Guangdong. Carl, thank you for this most interesting insight into the service that is provided by High Frequency Economics. With more time, it would be interesting to discuss in more detail your thoughts about what is likely to happen in the US economy and global financial markets as the COVID crisis evolves and hopefully fades away. And I would urge the listeners to look at the high frequency economics chart that Carl mentioned earlier, which shows just how little inflation there is currently. The Independent Research Forum is offering a short trial to the high frequency economic service and can provide details of how to subscribe to the full service. More information is available on request from the Independent Research Forum. Many thanks for listening to this IRF podcast with Carl Weinberg of High Frequency Economics. Thank you, David.